From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hello, I'm Samantha Hunt. I'm a writer from Brooklyn. I'm the author of two novels, one called The Seas and a new one called The Invention of Everything Else, which is a book about the life of inventor Nikola Tesla. Um, The title comes from the epigraph for the book, which is a quote from Charles Duell that was said in 1899. He was the chief patent officer of the United States, and he said, everything that can be invented has been invented. So this book is the invention of everything else. The section that I want to read takes place right as Tesla is arriving in America. He gets off the boat, and he walks right up to Edison's office trying to get a job at the lab there. Certainly there must have been at some time a young woman or man in a more dire situation than the one I found myself in, though at that moment I could not imagine who he or she may have been. I had the four centines. I had taken an orange from the ship's breakfast table and kept it tucked in my pocket, its roundness creating an awkward bulge. And though my hunger grew, I put myself on strict rations, thinking to save two-thirds of the orange for the day after and the day after that. But as I walked through the city, I did pull the fruit from my coat any number of times, and raising it to my nose, I inhaled deeply, as if perhaps I could derive some nutritional value from its fragrance. The volcanic scents I had had on board remained. The streets, though roughly cobbled, were packed with people in carts, animals, and grime. All the scents of the city, roasting corn, the stinging odors of horse urine, grilled meats, candied nuts, and the starchy scent outside each public house I passed— were terrifically intensified by my empty stomach. At 65 Fifth Avenue, a number of pigeons swooped in and out of view overhead. There was no sign, just a tiny card tucked into the jam of the doorway. I was scared to look at it. I worried what might happen to someone whose dreams had come true. Thomas Ed was all the card said. The print had blued in the weather. My heart thrumped. It was pounding. I knocked on the door, but there was no answer, and soon my palms were damp with nerves. I raised my hand up to the doorknob. It was not locked, and after a deep breath, I pushed my way inside, sick and expecting in my nervous state to find the laboratory vacated outside a spool of thin wire rolling across the bare floor. This was not the case. Entering Edison's laboratory was like entering the circus halfway through the grand finale. Everything was in motion. Men dressed in dark suits ran this way and that, tinkering with alkaline storage batteries, casting forms in the metallurgy room, machining tiny screws to be fitted into an advanced phonograph stylus, typing upon a row of royal typewriters, engaging in heated arguments with one another. One such fellow passed right by the tip of my nose, yelling, All right, who's the rotten dog who finished wiring the fan oscillator and then forgot to turn it on? A circus indeed. Elephants could have barred, and lions roared, and invention would still have soared above it all, the star of the show. In the chaos my presence was noted, a few foreheads ruffled, but my intrusion caused little stir. The men in dark suits looked right through me, their heads filled with circuits, cylinders, symbols, which was how I managed to walk directly up to the desk piled landslide high with papers, right up to the man who was simultaneously conducting multiple conversations, at least two per ear. Clients and assistants surrounded him. 
I recognized the man immediately. It was Taz Ed, a handsome man, if a bit dogged. His mouth seemed to be turned down in a permanent scowl. He had graying hair and a very broad forehead that he rubbed again and again. I approached, and he pulled away from one conversation, tilting his head, so as to give a bit of distance between his eardrum and the river of berating insults that flowed from one very angry man standing to his left. As the recipient of this abuse, Edison seemed immune. He raised his eyebrows to me as if to ask, What could you possibly want? I did not answer, but chose to wait until I had his undivided attention. And wait I would, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen. I shifted my footing, and after standing before him for over twenty minutes, witnessing a number of assistants interrupt the stream of several conversations, I realized that undivided attention was not ever going to happen. I stepped up. I began to speak. I'm Nikola Tesla. I have a letter from Charles Batchelor, and with that I presented the letter to him, unfolding it and placing it in his free hand. He read, or at least he pretended to. I know two great men, and you are one of them. The other is this young man. Mr. Edison chuckled when he was through, adding its paper to one of the mounds, threatening to topple down to the floor. I continued, "'Sir, I've created an invention that I imagine you'll have tremendous use for. "'You see,' I said, "'it's an engine for the generation of alternating current power that—' "'Ha!' was the first thing Edison said, "'though I was not sure if he was talking to me. "'Hold one moment,' he said to an assistant, "'before turning his attention my way. "'Alternating current, I'm afraid, young man, "'is of no use to anyone. "'It doesn't work. "'It's extremely dangerous, expensive, and impossible.' But, sir, I began reaching for the letter from Bachelor, so as to sketch my ideas on the back of it. Again, he interrupted. Now I need an engineer who can repair the dynamos of a ship that was supposed to set sail last week. Can you do that? I stood up straight and nodded my head. Yes, of course. Excellent. Get up to Pier 57. Ship's known as the Oregon. I hope I don't see you again until it's crossing the Azores. He turned to the one screaming man, presumably the captain of the Oregon. I've got my best man on it, he said, and taking a bite from an overwrought exploding sandwich, dismissed me and the others with a flick of his corpulent hand. The music began. A song, large and umpaish, a marching band, a musical review, accompanied by the sounds of the street, vendors, politicians, upset mothers snapping at their charges. Their voices were singing to my ears. Once I had repaired these dynamos, the great Edison would have to listen to me. I imagined our exchange still with joyful music. This time in opera, I'd sing, Dear Mr. Edison, you must consider. I've built a device that will change the world. You see, whereas the DC technology you've been backing cannot transport energy further than two miles, the AC engine I have built could send power out to California and back again with no energy loss. It works. You don't say, he'd sing in a deep baritone. Let me show you. We'd step over to a work table on the opera stage, where I would withdraw my notes and sketches and spread them before him. He'd study my plans for a moment. Genius, he'd sing with his arms open wide. Perhaps I might be, I'd admit in harmony, and Act One would come to a close. Edison would take my hand and together we'd bend in deep bows as the audience would jump to their feet, screaming with praise and applause. The curtain would fall, and instead of roses, the audience would shower us with dollar bills, money I would wisely reinvest in building my own laboratory, one as productive as Edison's. He was well impressed with my work. The following day I caught up with him inside the chemistry room. 
Table after long table, each one covered with narrow beakers, pipettes, glass tubing, and fat brown glass jugs filled with intriguing concoctions. And though it seemed a small dream, I thought that if I could remain in Mr. Edison's employ, my inventions would have a home. I made him an offer. There's much I could do around here. Your workshop's nearly in shambles. There are horrible leaks in efficiency. I'm certain I could, with some tuning up, save you a fortune in operating costs. I said, appealing to his love of money. He scratched the bulb of his chin and glanced skyward. You don't say. I guarantee it, sir. Well, if you could, there'd be fifty thousand dollars in it for you. Fifty thousand dollars? I asked. I had to be certain I'd heard correctly. I already had fifty thousand dollars worth of ideas in desperate need of funding. Yes, he said, fifty thousand dollars. And at that yes, each one of my ideas took flight, filling the sky with the possibility of their invention. A number of weeks passed, and I carved out a place for myself in Edison's lab. He was intrigued by my accent and had searched for the town of Smilian on a map, unable to locate the tiny village. He'd asked me quite sincerely. Have you ever eaten human flesh? Outside of this question, we'd had little chance to communicate directly. So I was surprised when one day I found him standing beside me. Do you hear that sound? The music had subsided weeks before. I turned. Mr. Edison was uncharacteristically working down with the people he called muckers, his ranks of assistant. Which sound? I asked him. And he paused, lifting his ear up toward the ceiling. That, that, that. He pointed up, shooting his finger off in different directions at each that. I heard many things. Beside me, two muckers, one an older Hungarian who'd been in Edison's employ for a number of years, the other a young man who just recently graduated from college, a fact that had placed him at the butt end of many a snide comment, were wrenched in a bitter disagreement. If you had an ounce of sense, you'd have known that aluminum plates are about as effective as peanut butter. Screamed one man. While the other, wielding a hammer, dashed to bits a device that now resembled a junk heap, a device that it had taken the two men four days to build. Though I'd been in the lab only a short while, I already recognized how Edison enjoyed pairing men who despised each other. Repulsion, frustration, disagreement, and anger were, Edison believed, the forge of good ideas. There was coughing, spitting, matches being lit to burn pipes, lunch pails being tossed aside at sudden burst of good ideas. There was swearing and steam pipes clanging. There was the general din of machinery in motion, and there was the sound of Mr. Edison taking credit for all of it. One young mucker had been charged by Edison to turn a tinfoil phonograph into a machine that could record not only sound but sight. The task was proving impossible, on par with spinning straw into gold. The poor man's good sense was unraveling. He could be heard issuing shrieks of nonsense from one corner of the workshop. That Edison said is the sound of, but his last word was obscured by a terrific crash. I was nervous, surprised to have been taken into his confidence. I prepared myself to learn the great man's secrets. What? I yelled over the din. The sound of capitalism. He answered. Ever heard of it? Yes, indeed I have. I said, heard of it. Not certain I agree. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. He told me, except that in order to sell something, a person must first own it. And how can a person own these things that we're inventing? How could I own alternating current? That's like owning thunder or lightning. I can't agree with that. Men own thunder all the time. That's how America works. 
And please, I've heard enough about your alternating current. If that's the last time you mention this abomination, it will not be too soon. AC is dangerous, and more importantly, Edison drove his finger once directly into the center of my chest. My light bulbs don't work on it, and my light bulbs, he reminded me, are your bread and butter. I worked day and night, and I can't say that the $50,000 reward was ever far from my thoughts. My own inventions grumbled daily in neglect, in need of the promised money. Arriving at 10.30 a.m. and not leaving until 5 a.m., I did not require sleep. Indeed, sleep seemed to only subtract from my powers. I found the same to be true for food and companionship. They were all roots that sent my blood to strange lands, whereas I preferred to keep my blood marching through the same channels, in training. Fifty thousand dollars could take my inventions far. And so, though the hours I put in were excruciatingly long, it wasn't but a few months' time before I had finished the daunting task of updating his laboratory, creating a more efficient, the most efficient environment. I whistled. I went to claim the pay Edison had promised. I've finished, I told him. Indeed, I've never seen such work. You take the cake. I'd now like to receive the fifty thousand dollars you promised me. You must be kidding. But, sir, you promised that amount. You've got a lot to learn about the American sense of humor, he said, and started to laugh as if to demonstrate what was so funny about America. I did not laugh. Silence prevailed until anger burned into distraction. My attention split. There were two choices waiting nearby. One was tucked up on a high, dusty shelf, peering out at me from behind a box of fuses. The other, like a fluttering of wings, stood by the open door, just about ready to leave. The two choices began to converse in patient, low whispers, as if telling secrets, as if they were both the voice of my father speaking to God. Edison continued talking to me. His lips moved. His chin hennishly pecked up and down, but I couldn't hear a word he was saying. I was deaf to all sounds but the whispering choices. Psst, one said to the other. I see you're getting ready to leave. I perked up my ears. Yes, the other voice answered. That's exactly what I was thinking. Ah, I see. Striking out on your own, set to change the world? Exactly. Yes, I could tell. Well, then, goodbye, good luck. Same to you. But if I may, just one thing before you go. Of course. You'll never make it. Oh, no? No, you need Edison. You see, for ideas to grow into something real, the one thing that they require most is money, and out there, money is hard to come by. Don't worry about me, I'll do fine. I've got lots of energy, lots of good ideas, plus I can move faster on my own. And anyway, if I stay here, he'll just take credit for anything I might invent. He'll water it all down, taking something brilliant and turning it into something people want to buy. Yes, that's true. But isn't that the point of invention, to make things that people want to buy? Hmm. I thought the point of invention was to improve people's lives. The laboratory was silent for a number of moments, as if everyone there... All the other muckers and Edison himself were poised in this disagreement. Both sides seemed correct. The silence lasted. The dust in the air stood still. The argument remained unsettled. I cleared my throat. Mr. Edison, I said, I resign.
To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.